Hey, you, Prime members, you can listen to Three Little Words ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. This podcast is brought to you by Quorn, the nation's favourite meat-free brand. Quorn is a great partner for this show because now, more than ever, we should all be thinking about the environmental impact of the food that we all eat. For each podcast, Tony gives us a fact from our sponsor, Quorn. I do, John, and I'm calling those facts, those Quorn facts, I'm calling them quacks. This week's quack is corn is made using the same method as making beer fermentation except that corn keeps the solids and recycles the liquid vice versa for beer obviously or you'd be uh... yeah well it makes you wonder don't it? Wait, wait. so they keep the solids and recycle the liquid yes so does the, is there going to be a corn beer that's a thing my best guess would be no <laughs> we'll leave that hanging <laughs> we'll leave that for the listeners yeah, to decide yeah, yeah. So if you're going vegan, vegetarian, or just cutting down on meat a bit, you'll find Quorn's a great option. They've got so many different products, from cocktail sausages to turkey-style kebabs. There's something for everyone. Yeah, definitely. And I know because they're all in my fridge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Three Little Words, where we bring people onto the show. If you've heard it before and you'll understand the format, we ask them for three words that are important to them, and then that gives us a conduit through which we can talk to the man here with uh, Tony Pitts, who helped devise this as a format. And we've This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. We've got a guest who I think is a true wordsmith, having built a career around the use of language, and is also a, uh, an inspirational person in so many ways. It's Eddie Izzard. Hello there. Um, conduit. I haven't used conduit in my life, so well done on reaching that. Because I, I actually kind of delight in a lack of vocabulary. With my dyslexia, I'm, I delight in not getting... I say United Kingdomy people, you know? And that's a nice thing. That's, I have the poetic license. I think we as stand-ups have poetic license, like poets, to be able to say United Kingdomy people. Because there's no, you know, the Britain and British people, United Kingdom and what? And, it's, and I like United Kingdom because it's more inclusive because it's British and then Northern Ireland doesn't quite fit in on the technical terms. But the first question up has got to be on this podcast... John Bishop, what is it like to be the standby interviewer for George Clooney? <laughs> now, for those people who don't know what this this refers to, Eddie's just completed an unbelievable feat, which was running um, 31 marathons in 31 days to raise money for a cause which we'll, we'll, we'll come on to, to make humanity great again. So as part of that, what I did, a few friends sort of spoke to him because running a marathon. Let's yeah. And also, let's clarify this, Tony. This will do your head in because Tony's main sport is boxing. So he, he un- understands that physicality of it. Um, okay. So so get this. On a treadmill, 
in the same room looking at the same wall. So so therefore, a few of us were told to Eddie that I had a, a, a time with her where I was on a, 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 my bicycle, training bike, and we were touring for an hour, an hour and a half or so. And then on the Sunday, on the 31st day, yeah. Eddie then decides to do a double marathon. Yes, So do a marathon yeah, and then finish. And do another marathon. Yeah. And and so I got a message saying, look, Eddie's going to finish round about midnight and we've got a, a guest at the end, but as yet he's not confirmed. Yeah. Will you be available if George Clooney's if just, not? Yeah. So, it's a dilemma so, we've all faced. I know, I know it's a yeah. common thing. I spend yeah. all my yeah. life being ready to step so, in for, for George, George Clooney. Yeah, at a given moment. But like, like, just on that point, practically, how are you physically now? Well, I'm thinking of putting on some heels and walking heels. I haven't walked in heels for... for um, <laughs> I don't Good know look. I don't know what my... Because I've lost a toenail on the left foot, but I think I'm ready... I do like a pair of heels, and so I'm going to throw them on. But I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. The, the mind is good. The body is okay. The body got stronger in, a, in, a, in an odd sense. I'm like, I can just feel a toughness in there. But the weariness, the exhaustion was intense. I wanted to ask you about uh, that, Eddie, because uh, as John said, um, I'm uh, familiar with uh, physical endeavour and digging deep. I've sort of, I understand that. But 31 marathons in 31 days where does that come from well i said this i might have said this to john um uh if you come out as trans back in when you're 23 uh back in 85 then it it you know it was con- it was such a toxic thing to say at that time i am trans i'm transvestite i'm transgender i'm you know people didn't have the words have changed well the, the words at that time were tv and ts and now that it's trans and it's difficult difficult enough these days but um in the whole process of going that and people hurling abuse at you in the street and having fights in the street and all that uh, after that everything else seems kind of easy so that's the the dig that was my training and now i'm doing gigs in french german and spanish that's really kind of tough but you know is it that that tough i'm running multiple marathons that's really not that hard compared to the coming out so i, I put it down to that which could seem like oh you're just linking these together for no reason but i do i do feel it is that it was a tough old thing to do and it's and it's better now and it's in a better place now in anything and i think i don't i don't think that i'm that special i just proved that we can all do more than we think we can do that strength that you described which i'm sure is early planted which is i think that link is absolutely clear to the the difficulties of being trans i'm sure there's a, a link there but being able to access that repeatedly i think is extraordinary there's one extra thing is the amount of failure we're talking to john about his career and how he was in a, a, a dark place in his life or a difficult place in his life, and then he went on and his stand-up. And John, I think your stand-up, you know, it, it, you got hold, you got hold of something yeah, quite definitely. quickly. And I was, I dropped out of uni at nineteen, and, I, and my career took off at about thirty. So I had eleven years, and even before nineteen, I really was planning to do this. So such a lot of failure in there, or non-success, if you want to spin it that way, um, readied me to. You know, stay the course, stay the course, stay the course, stay in there, stay in there, stay in there. It it could get better. It should get better. Hopefully, it'll get better. Just you know, have hope and uh, and and go for it. Uh, I had a, a roughly similar trajectory where I had I had early success and then I had ten years of the wilderness, the wilderness years. And I, I wonder if, uh, in hindsight, or even at the time, did you feel like you had a choice? Did you feel like another life was available to you? 
that you could have taken? Or did you feel that it was this was a life that was down for you? Tony, this is very interesting because I was training, I, I was doing accounting and financial management with mathematics at university. I could have got jobs up to the eyeballs coming out with that degree. I pulled out because I knew that if I got that degree, my stepmother would have just... She would have said, you've got the degree. She would have given me a hard time. She was very much that I had to pay back my father for my private education since I was six. That is an opinion, but my mum died when I was six and me and my brother went to boarding schools. We didn't choose it. We were going to go to state schools. This wasn't going to happen. And so I thought my stepmother had got this wrong. I didn't feel that I owed anything with that. I didn't want to go away to, to a boarding school and not see my dad for two-thirds of the year. So... There was a, dad never went to university, mum, my actual mum never went to university, so there was a thing, you boys have got to go to university, I understand that. We got there, um, uh, my brother before me, and then I got there, and I just thought, I, I don't want this degree, I know I want to perform, this degree's going to be a handicap, even though that would have been another life, you know, business, I could have set up businesses, a number of things. So what I did was I broke it, and I, 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 it didn't burn my bridges, I actually turned on a flamethrower and actively destroyed the way back. There was no way back. The longer I was out, the less chance, you know, I couldn't get back. Even though I went to university, now you can't finish your degree now. I wanted that bridge not to be there. The point, the path of least resistance was forward into performing. And I thought I could do stuff on a world scale. I did think I could do things all around the world. And everything I was doing was showing that not to be true. I did 12 Edinburgh, 12 Edinburgh festivals over, over 13 years. Uh, three in sketch comedy, three, four in street performing, and then an overlapping four or five years in, in stand-up. And so three mediums of comedy. I just kept trying. I would not stop until the thing gave in. And that is so... Maybe I was, I've always had this relentless determination to, to get the thing through. It's interesting to me when you were talking about flame-throwing your bridges because, you know, I love... People like you who say early on, I knew I had to step outside and I knew I had to have positive noises coming back and affirmation that this wasn't a crazy thing instead of talking to the doubters and the and the gloomers and, and everything right down to, to to the trans decision that you you sort of reach that 23 and saying, I'm gonna dress slightly differently, I'm gonna evolve, I'm gonna I'm gonna be who I am. I think that is braver to be, not the trans thing, that identity of this is who I am. I think that's braver than you probably give it credit for. I was, I was scared shitless is, you know, you can underline that 70 million times, the, the, the walking out the door. Um, I think one of the first times, maybe the second time I ever went out the door in a dress with makeup on, where I was living at Highbury Corner in Islington, there was at break time, at lunchtime, or maybe it was the end of the day when the, the, the schools broke up. Sometimes I noticed a bunch of kids would congregate, you know, from a school, must be a local school, and there was a corner shop just, just outside and to the right of the door. And so sometimes you go out, you know, I'll be in boy mode, as I call it, and then we go out there and, you know, I see all these kids there. Oh, there must be a school broken up and they're all getting stuff from the corner shop and boom. And then they're all going to split up and go home. And I remember unlocking the door and thinking, I hope... It's not the time when all those kids, those young teenage boys and girls are standing outside. And it was, it was. And I was, and once I'd opened the door, I knew, do not go back in. Because one, they'll see you and they say, oh, you live there and then that could be hellish. But you've got to commit. This is the, you've got to go forwards into this fire. And I just kept walking, kept walking. 
And I could feel people, all these kids looking at me, these teenagers. And uh, all I got, actually, I was wearing leggings. At that time, leggings was, was a thing. And I was uh, different patterned sort of leggings in wool, yeah, kind of leggingy thing. And somebody said, look, they're wearing leggings. And that was the only comment I got. But I, but I just went through it. Get, just getting out the front door was hard enough. And there's also the corner shop. I didn't tell the corner shop for ages that I was out and trans. I didn't go in there. And I always used to go in there every day in Boimo, but I was scared of going in Girl Mode in case they pointed and laughed. It's pointing and laughing is the thing, you, humiliation you're worried about. And, uh, and it, had a, it, was on a, it was on a corner. So for, when the, and they left the door open all day so they could see a wide arc of, of the road outside. And then I got my heel caught in a grating just opposite them so that, and then my shoe is off and I'm opposite the door and I'm going through this nightmare and then you're panicking and sweating and trying to get the shoe out of the grating and put it on so ridiculous things like this happened just outside the door so I know I had to be brave to do it but I thought this was my fight that's what I thought 1985 23 years old I'm designed to fight this I'm built to take that if someone's hurling abuse at me I'll hurl it back. That's what I do. When people hurl abuse at me, and they're going, you fuck, and then they fuck, and fuck, and then fuck. And I go, well, what are you the fuck? How dare you fuck, and the fuck, and the fuck? Why do you fuck, and the fuck, and Oh, what a fuck, and the fuck. You fuck, and, and I'll literally stand there for as long as they stand there, five, ten minutes of fuck, and then the whole street will hear, and I will do that because I'm damned if I'm going to let them get away with it. And, and if, it's, if it comes to fighting, it comes to fighting. But I'm not a brilliant fighter, so I haven't got all the bases covered. But de- I'm, I'm a good reverse swearer. If they're going to swear at me, I'm going to swear back at them. <laughs> well, talking of swearing, the, the, swearing is a word, and obviously this show is about words. We've asked you to come up with three words that mean something to you. So, so what's your first word? Okay, humanity. Humanity's my first word. Humanity. Okay, so what happened, I'll just quickly, I'll do the definition, the etymology, Eddie, and then a quote, and then we'll discuss a word. So the definition of humanity, kindness, graciousness, politeness, consideration for others, dates back to the 14th century. It's back to the old Latin word, humanitatum, uh, which describes human nature, the human race or mankind. And from the 15th century, it meant human race, humans collectively. And then I've got a plethora of quotes, but I'll just pick one from the Dalai Lama, which I like very much, uh, who said, Love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive. So why did you choose the word humanity, Eddie? Well, I have... A, a fund that I do my charity things for now, which is Make Humanity Great Again. I don't know how I thought of that title, but I think someone in, in, in history came up with something similar to it. But, uh, and it was Trump, and it was, it was all about America, and it's, but all Americans are in humanity. So Make Humanity Great Again just seemed more inclusive. 7.8 billion of us in the world, and yeah, let's, let's all of us go forwards to try and make it work. There's three statements I said at the end of my 32nd marathon on the 31st day because I did the double marathon on the last day. And I said, this is the 21st century. Coming of age is at 21. So this is, we can take this, we should take this as the coming of age of humanity, the 21st century. Uh, I think a fair chance in life should be the right of every person in the world, not a free life, but a fair chance in life. And we need to make humanity great again so that we can do that. And 
I do believe that this century will either be the first century where we actually got it to a place where everyone had a chance, everyone had a fair chance, even Stephen's chance, to go forward, build a family, a life, uh, have jobs, maybe start a business, be an artist, um, get a pension, that kind of thing. Um, this could be the first life we make it everyone in the world has that chance. And if we don't, I think we're not going to make it as human beings. I don't believe in a God. If you do, well done. But I think World War II kind of proves that if there is a God, proves that God is not going to come down from the heavens and stop 60 million people dying, 60 million deaths there. And God should have come down and what, at 5 million, 10 million said, whoa, what's going on? It's the guy with the mustache. Let's get that Hitler off the board. Okay, he's dead. I'm God. I've got rid of him. Is it Tojo in Japan? He's gone too. Carry on. I just want to just say hi. Sorry about all the other wars, but here, I'm all, you know, he doesn't come down. He, she, it doesn't come down. It doesn't come down for COVID. It's up to us. And if there is a God, well, they're, they're just not intervening. So just know it's us. It's human beings. And I think there's more goodwill than ill will in the world. So I want to appeal to that. And most politicians can't, in a sense, go for humanity or the whole world because you've got to fight for your constituency, your, your party, your country. And it stops a country. Um, and I'm saying, no, is it, we've got to start fighting for the world. And I was born in Yemen. I was lucky enough to be born in the city of Aden, Aden. It's Aden to the Arabic people in, in Yemen. And um, so I want to fight, try and fight for everyone. Well, it's a ridiculous thing to try and fight for. But I have, when I came out back in 85, the idea that trans could be part of society, that was, that's what I knew my job was, to try and knit it into society, but just bring it over the line so that we could be citizens. We're paying bills, we're doing this, we're having careers, um, we're paying taxes. That's what I felt my job was to do, to try and get trans inside society, as opposed to be out, outliers and, and, and considered toxic people. So I think we've, that has happened over 35 years, not because of me, but I'm part of it maybe. Other people have been great activists, done great work over the years. Um, and, you know, LGBT people have just done great activism. But you've got to, you've got to think big, you know. Uh, we've got to try and fight for all of us. And if we don't start thinking in that way, another COVID is going to come. Global warming is right on our heels. I don't think we'll make it. And if you look at the history of our planet, we, are, we don't have a right to be here. We're just lucky enough to be here. And I think that's the, the truth of it in the universe. We're just lucky enough to be here. And we need to take care of us and the planet and each other. One of the things I, I want to ask you in, in unpicking all of that, because it just struck me then, and it's never a conversation I've ever had with you, you mentioned that one of the things within your journey to make humanity great again was part of this acceptance of the trans community uh, now as somebody who's never uh, i suppose really ever asked anybody in that community how do you explain trans to somebody because everybody understands gay everybody gets that i'm sexually attracted to somebody of the uh, of the the same sex as me but i don't think that where trans fits in is fully understood, which means it's often been placed on the periphery when it doesn't need to be. Okay, let me try and, and explain that. The true thing of life is life is really complicated. Politics is really complicated. This is the annoying thing. We'd like it to be 
simple. We want it simplified, but it is actually quite complicated. But generally, there's how you look to people, there's how you self-identify, and there's who you fancy. You can look very classically male, very classically female. And that look that we have a certain thing of, ah, that person looks very male, that person looks very female. And that is how you look, say. And the dial can be... So the dog can be anywhere on that. This is on the spectrum of looking very male, looking very female. Uh, how you self-identify can, can be very different to that. You could look very male, but feel very female. You could look very female, but feel very male. So again, the dial can be anywhere up there. And then there's who you're attracted to. And that, again, can be all these, these three dials. And you seem to be able to set the, dial, the, 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 the point of the dial at any, anywhere along that spectrum. I knew when I was five, I heard of a, a, girl, a boy wearing a, a girl's dress, uh, his sister's dress, I think it was. And I remember the kids in the, the gang, you know, the local gang, the group of kids that hung around. It wasn't a gang in, in sort of, you know, drug dealing. Like this. These were, we were five-year-olds, six-year-olds. So that group that hangs out in the estate. And, and there was laughter at the boy wearing the girl's dress. And I remember thinking, no... I'd like to do that. That seems... I'd really like to do that. I'd, oh, oh, keep quiet about that because there's, there's laughter and, and, uh, and uh, mocking going on here. So don't mention that because you'll be on the wrong side of that. And that has never moved away. That was five years old and I wanted to express that uh, then. My mother was still alive. Some people, some people said to me, oh, your mother dying, that's the cause of it. It wasn't because I knew before mum died and I was... Um, and I just... I was very, very happy to express myself as a girl. I would have been very happy to have been born a girl. I would have been a tomboy girl. So I consider myself a tomboy, a tom girl, you know, because I was this running, jumping, climbing trees, love football. And you say, well, I love football, therefore a boy thing. We know there are brilliant women football players now, so we've just blocked them. Did you know in England that they banned England uh, women playing football yeah, for, was 50s, it, 40 yeah. years, 50 years? Because their, their crowds were too big. Oh, you're, you're, it's going to destroy you as a woman. And we, we, the FA, ban you. What the hell was that? So there's nothing. And if you analyze what is masculine and what is feminine, try that as an exercise. Get, a, get two columns and put down what is intrinsically masculine, what is intrinsically feminine. And you might say um, being artistic. Well, we know there's artistic men as well. So we no, you can't do that one. Uh, nurturing. Only women nurture. Well, we've seen very nurturing men, wonderful fathers. And if they're single parents, they, they, they will come. My, my father was a single parent. So, so we know that that's not true. Um, you could say uh, athletic. Only men athletic. No, oh, there's excellent women athletes. Yes, yes. And they've won awards and gold medals. Yeah, okay, so that's wrong. Um, being a soldier, only men can be soldiers. Throughout history, not only the Second World War, all the way going back in time, there have been women who have been great fighters, great natural fighters uh, and soldiers. Um, so that doesn't work. There's actually nothing in there that is intrinsically masculine or intrinsically feminine as you go down the list. The only thing is that if you have more testosterone in your body, you can build muscle mass easier. That is it. Boom, end of story. And that's weird because you, you, we, we've, we've lined up, we've, we're obsessed about separating things out and saying this masculine, this feminine, or this boy, this girl. And so I knew I had boys' traits within me and girlish traits, which I think is genetics. And I've said from the, after, in my teenage years or maybe even in my 20s, I said, I think it's genetics. And I've said this again and again and again. We're getting closer to working out what those genetics are and if it's not chromosomes, already with chromosomes, it's XX and XY. It's not YY and XX. It is XX and XY. That should be a huge bloody signal. Uh, so, so trans is someone who feels that 
if their biological body is looking like this, then they feel that they'd rather have been in a different body. In a, in a, for me, I would have been very happy to have been born a woman. I'm kind of okay I was born a boy. So, so we're obsessed about this thing, but who gives a monkeys? When, I've said this thing, when LGBT hits boring, then we've made it. Yes. And if someone says to you, I'm gay. You say, great, you're gay. Excellent. But what do you do? Oh, what do I do in life? Well, I'm a librarian. Well, are you a good librarian? I think I'm a pretty good. Yes, I can get the books up pretty quickly. Well, that's all we care about. Who cares? If, you know, are you a good librarian? Are you a good mechanic? Are you a good uh, politician? Are you a good astronaut? You don't care if they're gay, lesbian, bi. No, that's your own personal doodah. I think in more recent years that trans aspect has become more of a conversation point because society's thankfully moved to that position of making it easier to talk about it but when I was first exposed to you and your comedy and your just seeing you you would be on stage you know you'd have your nails done you'd be in heels yeah you're not on stage as a drag queen or anything you're just saying I'm Eddie Azard I've dressed like this now I want to talk about monkeys and trees it was like it, it you you achieved that bit that you said earlier with LGBTQ plus becomes boring. You seem to go, this is who I am. I'm going to get past this to the stuff I want to talk about quickly. And I think that is, is to me, mm-hmm. the thing that I admire the most is, is that bit that you said earlier on where there was a point where you were going to step over the threshold and leave your house anticipating a barrage of abuse from teenage kids, but being brave enough to go, I expect the worst, and then you walk through it and someone says something about your leggings and you go, I can live with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the thing is, you've got to be brave to take yeah. the step. I, 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 I try and carry non-victim vibes with me. I have to walk tall, I have to hold my head high, which kind of helps because I think if anyone of a low character said, let's have a go at this person, they're obviously trans, and then they look how I'm carrying myself and they go, Ah, that could be. That could take some time. Yeah, could be, yes, I think, yeah, absolutely right. Yes. So, listen. You've mentioned humanity as your first word, but you're also, and I want to take this opportunity, mention that it's it's part of the charity that you set up, makes humanity great again. For anyone else who wants to make a donation or find out more about it, they go to your website, don't they? Eddieazard.com. Eddieazard.com. You can donate, and we're over three hundred thousand now. George Clooney took it over a quarter of a million by throwing in a few thousand. So that was very nice because we were, you know, a quarter of a million sounds great. So we were 247,000. And he said, I'll put in the extra three. So you're over. I you know, I was actually I was just... watching, I was watching it on YouTube because I thought, I want to see what my standing George Clooney yeah, looks yeah, yeah. like. Yeah. And I'm so glad when he said, I'll put the three grand in. I thought, <laughs> oh, thanks, George. <laughs> So, Eddie, your first word was brilliant and, and special, and I think reflected you as a person. What's your second word? Second word is film, or films, if... Um... Well, yeah, I'll just quickly, Eddie, add, add some knowledge and then a, a couple of quotes. So, uh, dating from 1600, meaning to cover with a film or a thin skin, but... Um, by 1845, it meant the coating or chemical gel that used on photographic plates... By 1895, that also meant the celluloid, hence a motion picture. So the sense of a motion picture uh, film dates to 1905, and filmmaking is a craft or an art from 1920. Got a couple of quotes. One's from Bergman, who says, Film as dream, filmless music, 
No art passes our conscience in the way that film does and goes directly to our feelings deep down into the dark rooms of our souls. And then a fantastic quote from Fellini that I couldn't agree more with. I don't like the idea of understanding a film. I don't believe that rational understanding is an essential element in the reception of any work of art. Either a film has something to say to you or it hasn't. If you are moved by it, you don't need it explained to you. If not, no explanation can make you be moved by it. Why did you choose the word film, Eddie? I s- Mum died when I was six. Uh, I go to a boarding school, then another boarding school. At the age of seven, um, I see a play in January of 1970. I know the, the month and the date. Uh, a Boy with a Cart by Christopher Fry. A kid was on stage and he was getting a good reaction. Um, I think the role suited him and it was all working. And the audience was kind of going bananas for him particularly and and uh, this play, on the role he was playing and how it was going down. And I remember thinking, I want to be that guy. I want to be on the stage. I've got, I've got to do this. Um, I think in hindsight, I was substituting mum's love. She was a nurse. She was a loving person. And suddenly she was gone. Um, and, and then boarding school, you don't see your dad for two thirds of the year. So, um, if you take it in thirds, this is a bit of a weird way of putting it. If, if mum is three thirds and dad is three thirds, I'm not seeing mum ever again. I'm seeing dad. I'm, I've lost five, six of the affection coming in from mum and dad, just gone very quickly. And then there's an audience that says, if you, and, and me watching, if you do things on a stage, right. One, you can live a different character. That sounds fantastic. And two, people will love you for it. And and I think this pact, it, sh- it, was, it was a bolt of lightning. It was this, I've got to do this. This I've got to do. And I'd done one before when mum was alive. I played a raven when mum was alive and I didn't feel that at all. And so maybe it was a different thing. But anyway, so that I locked in. So plays, plays, plays. Got to be in plays. Got to try to audition at school. Nothing really happened. I was short compared to tall. Tall kids always play the hero because otherwise, you know, how could a short kid be getting off with a girl unless you're naturally brilliant? And I wasn't natural. I don't think I'm naturally good at anything except I have the, the ability to pull things out of me or my determination maybe is whatever. I'm not sure what I've got naturally, but... So anyway, I did this thing. I'm about 12, somewhere around there. I, I, you know, I loved films. I watched them on telly, loved films. Great Escape from a very early age. Um, I'm semi-encyclopedic about World War II, and I would have been in that and fought against the Nazis and the fascists. And I just, as a young kid, I was fired up by all of that. And then I realized these films are real. I, I like real people are in them. So I thought, these people, they go and they make films. So it's not any of the stage stuff I've seen that I'm really into. This, the, people make films and they have lives and they travel. Oh, I've got to do this. So I moved it to film and it, and it stayed locked in from 12. And you could look at my career and say, well, it didn't really seem that film has been in your career at the beginning bit. But I really, I broke into Pinewood at 15, uh, 15 years old. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. I, I started watching films, and if anyone remembers the 70s, which I think you guys might do. I don't know if you, John, you're too young. I'll take that. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'll take that. Well, I'm not sure. How old were you in the 70s, John? Me? I'm, I'm 54. Oh, right, no, you're saying, I'm so sorry. It's, it's because good. you started late. I think you're a junior, but you're not. You're in my, my Yeah, no, you're, you're 61, aren't you? You were born, so... No, 62, 62. 62. Right. Same age as me. No, it's just all... I'm just referring to a conversation that Eddie had with George Clooney right. about when they were playing table football yes. with him, George Clooney, and, and Brad Pitt, oh, and, they, and they were yeah. just comparing... They, they, they were all born a year apart. Yeah. That's just the kind of conversation I was listening to. It wasn't, it wasn't so much not accepting <laughs> that you remember it. It's, it was, it was yeah, the, I, I, I definitely I know, would remember I know, but I'm trying to put myself in... I was yeah. trying to play table football in my own head yeah. with Brad yeah. and George. I only played table football with George and, and he beat me which can, can you imagine how annoying that is being when you think because I the, the, I was at a boarding school and a table football turned up in the sort of they had a games room there and so we just sat on it I mean we had queues waiting to get on this thing and we all became experts I don't know if you've ever played much table football yeah. but you can get really good at it so I knew I was pretty damn good at this thing and it's George Clooney I'm going to beat the pants off George Clooney and he beats me and he's already George Clooney. And I thought, like, what is that? That's not quite on right. On Ocean's 13, wasn't it? This was, that was on 12, Ocean's 12 in, in Rome, on top of the roof of the Derussi Hotel. If you, it was, um, I can tell you more stories about it. It's just, but when I was acting, it was actually when I'm acting, and I actually had George on one side. It's, it's, it's a whole thing. If you, see, if you see 12, you'll see. And George was standing on one side and Brad was on the other. And I say, I'm in this group. But I was also going, I'm not in this group. <laughs> 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 you know, and the way they look, the way they are, the way they're known. And George was born in '61. I was born in '62. Brad's born in '63. So I said, "There, you see, this is why. This is how. The, why this is happening." And uh, it's just not quite true. But anyway. But I inter- I interrupted your story there about falling in love with acting as a child and falling in love with film. And then, and then there is, and it comes right back to what you were saying right at the beginning. Those eleven years where you're pushing through. If you were to know that one day you will be in a Hollywood movie with some of the biggest names in cinema at this time, then that grind is is acceptable. But you don't know that. When you fall in love with film as a 12-year-old, the purity of that love is the special thing because it's a love without an expectation. You're not doing it because you're expecting to be with Roy Rogers. You're just watching Roy Rogers because you're in love with film. I was never trying to be Royal Rogers, I must say. It's, uh, yeah, I did, it was that. But there's also this thing of fame and, the, and you know, it gets mixed up. And I, I, an ex-girlfriend of mine once said, you know, are you in this just for fame? And I thought, oh, God, if I am, that's, that's a bit shallow, isn't it? Um, and a lot of people go into things just for that. And it, and it has got this buzzy quality and, and whatever, you know, you can't deny that. But in the end, I, I realised that what I really want is the respect of people whose work I respect. That is the highest hit, you know. If, um, if I've got members of Monty Python whose stuff I loved and they're on Mount Olympus as my gods of comedy and they said, you're doing good comedy. And I said, well, I'm just totally influenced by you and I love that. If I have any good actors who've seen me uh, do work and they say, you know, Edward VII along with Judy Dench playing Queen Victoria in Stephen Freer's film, and then they say, you know, that was good. We didn't know it was you and you were in that. And, and I just think, wow, that's... That's, that's the hype. But yes, film, loved it. 
And, and in the 70s, this is the thing I was going to say, it's quite interesting. There was no internet, as you know, and so I just sat and watched films. And at the end, there were the credits and I wrote them down. I wrote down details on, on a, on a pa- pad. You know, this, and, and you got Best Boy, and you got Gaffer, and you got, I don't know what these mean. And the, but at the end of the Battle of Britain, the, it says, made on location in, in Spain and in uh, England. And also at Pinewood Studios, Ivor Heath Bucks. And I, and I wrote that down, and it was a big one single card on the screen. And I thought, well, the Pinewood Studios, that's the studios, that's a place where they make it. The studios must be the place where they make it. Uh, yes, location, okay, I, I vaguely got that idea. But Ivor Heath Bucks is a look. Is that a place? It's a bit of a weird name. So I went to W.H. Smith and, I, and, and were, I got a map. It had alphabetically every town and village and city in the whole of the UK, it seemed. That's, that's how they used to do it. Alphabetically, just on and on and on and on in very small print. And there it was, Ivor Heath Buck, Buckinghamshire. Okay, okay. And so I got a train from Bexelonsea on the south coast near Hastings up to London, a tube to, to, to uh, Uxbridge, a bus to Ivor Heath, little village of, and the bus driver said, you get off at the roundabout. So I got off at the roundabout and there was someone there, where's the Palmer Studios? Well, it's half a mile down the road, mate. So I walked down at 15, I walked down the road, there's big gabled entrance, which used to be the entrance to Palmer Studios, where all the stars go in. And I marched up to there and then I didn't quite have this prepared. So I said to the guy who's just a, you know, security guard, I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in film, I'm going, I wish to, I'm going to be, I'm going to star in films. <laughs> uh, I need to come in because my name, okay, you don't know my name. Uh, well, can I come in? He's a piss off or F off or whatever. And I thought, I've come miles for this. There might be another entrance. And so I thought, I will look. And there is another entrance, which is now the main entrance. And I looked at that. And I watched people going in. There was a guard station, you know, some people showing identification, some people not, some people just moving in and out with authority. And I, and I felt like, um, with, with retrospect, I felt like Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood looking in, in where Eagles Dare, trying to get into Der Schloss Adler. The, if you watch the film again, you see they just march in with, with casual aplomb, chatting away in English, which I assume is supposed to be German. And so that's what I did without, you know, just channeling... I'm 15 and I'm in charge of something or I'm supposed to get, you know, and, and I got in. I was in Pinewood for two, two hours and, and I, didn't, I couldn't quite, I wanted someone then to discover me. Hey, you, kid, you, you wandering around, kid. We're doing a film called The Wandering Around Kid. Yeah, yeah. The, the lead kid has just exploded. We don't know why. Can you want, you seem to be good at wandering. Come on. You know, I wanted that to happen and it didn't quite happen. But I do think that story, which I retold to Jerry Weintraub, got me the part in The Avengers with Uma Thurman, Ray Fiennes, and uh, Sean Connery. I think that was my first film that I filmed at, and I told them that story. So they probably gave me the role because of that. After that epiphany, it's a kind of pilgrimage. It's kind of almost religious connotations. There's actually a place, and you went there not knowing quite how to proceed. It's an extraordinarily powerful image for me. It's, so film is my first love. And that's, and that's acting. Acting is my first love. Comedy, I love watching it. I didn't know you could be in it. I didn't know I could really... I got some laughs when I was 12 and I was put into a review. Um, but the, the, the one time I was really got funny was in, in chemistry A-level when I was 16, 17, 18, those two years. That's when I honed my comedy skills to impress girls, which by the summer term, when I was going to lunch, basically the teacher had a way of saying... 
Um, we take some nice, slow way of write, talking and writing on the board. We take some sodium, which is Na, and then we take some chlorine, and when we put it together, it becomes, and I go, is it, is it, is it gold, sir? No, it's not gold. It's salt, isn't it? And salt, you can put, you can put it on your grandmother, sir. Not on your grandmother. <laughs> and, you know, and I just kept throwing these things in because he'd leave these gaps or just pauses or just in between the words, I could get them in. And I, I did that for two years, consciously thinking I could make my comedy better. I dumped drama at this point and I'd push for the comedy. So that got my comedy going. And then I was at university and I was going like a train, took my first show to Edinburgh at 19. But all the way through my comedy attempts in sketch comedy, street performing, then stand-up. And when the stand-up was ramping up, I did this very weird thing. I put a cap on the top level of my comedy. So I, all I wanted to be in was a Monty Python uh, kind of sketch comedy show. But because I'd done three mediums of comedy and the stand-up was working so well and it was so... It felt so good to me because it's just me on stage and you can play everything and you can work as hard as you want. You can do as many gigs as you want. Then I said, right, I'm not going to do sketch comedy, I'm not going to do a sitcom, and I'm not going to do comedy films. I'm going to block all of that. I'm going to go sideways, get a separate agent. I got a separate dramatic acting agent, Nikki Van Gelder. And, um, and I said, I just want to do drama roles. I know I've got known because my, my career was taking off from comedy. I was playing in the West End first time. And, uh, and I said, I'm, I don't want any comedy roles. I just want to do drama. And that's when I began my dramatic career separately to my comedy career and and film film drama is my big love whether it be for television or for screen which is not much difference these days you know the quality is so good we're in a golden era of written um written drama for films and thrillers and uh, i'm now making my first i just made my first film which comes out March 26th, six minutes to midnight with Judy Dench and Jim Broadbent. Oh, fantastic. Amazing. Congratulations. Congratulations, 26th yeah, of March. It's hard, um, hard to get things. Now, well, you know you've done it. Um, Eddie, two brilliant words. I know we're going to lose you, but your third word, you've got to tell us your third word. Determination. Determination. So two senses of determination. The first sense... It comes from the mid-14th century in the the definite or authoritative judicial settlement, so at law. But I'm assuming that we're taking the second meaning, which is a fixation of will towards a goal, a state of mental resolution with regard to something. That dates to around 1680. I've got a couple of quotes, one by Dickens, one by Johnson, so you're in good company. Dickens... I never could have done what I have done without the habits of punctuality, order and diligence, without the determination to concentrate myself on one subject at a time. That's Dickens. And Samuel Johnson said, If your determination is fixed, I do not counsel you to despair. Few things are impossible to diligence and skill. Great works are performed not by strength, but by perseverance. So, Eddie, why did you pick determination? Because I think it's... It's my strongest trait, maybe. Uh, maybe it's one I was given through the accident of genetics and birth. And my dad was quite doggedly determined. Mum, I don't think that would necessarily be her first trait, but I only knew her for six years and I was very young. But it, I think determination is more important than raw talent. I've come up with people and I've seen, you've got it, I think you've got it, and you could, well, you could do it, you could do it, you could do it. But if they don't stay the course... If they don't say, I'm going for this, then they don't quite kind of make it. I have a, a line that I came up with, you've got to want it more than blood. 
which doesn't quite make sense as a sentence, but it's kind of that. It's kind <laughs> of like, I'm going for this, you know? And hopefully you do it with a positive heart. If you do it with a positive heart, then, you know, you do things and it's good and entertaining. You build things, you make great buildings, you, you're a good politician. But if some of the negative bastards in the world have also been determined and, uh, you know, Hitler's won, and uh, that's unfortunate too. So it can, it can land on the wrong side of the tracks and have very nasty people having determination, but we've just got to be more determined on the good side and then humanity will make it through the century. That that determination when you're developing a career is one thing, but also when you when it manifests itself in a physical challenge, where you have so many opportunities to go, oh, I've done enough, and nobody will blame you. Where does that come from, and has that surprised yourself? Because it it, it is. If you were to list out the things that you've done, including the running Africa and so on, it's amazing. It's beyond what most people would even conceive. Yeah, I don't think people could comprehend. Again, I go back to this thing of we all can do more than we think we can do. I just proved that. I also think I look quite ordinary. I just look like someone. I can look kind of kind of handsome boy, but kind of maybe a bit pretty in girl mode. But I don't, you know, I'm not drop-dead gorgeous. So the rest of it is just determination and feistiness and bloody-mindedness and come on, let's get this thing going. And uh, I think a lot of people can identify with that. And I'm very proud of my double marathon. So the double marathon that I did in, in South Africa on the last day to get to Nelson Mandela's statue, that was amazing, which we had to get to by quarter past three because they were going to lose the live feed. And I thought if I landed, if I, if I finished with the live feed for Sport Relief back in, in London and people were donating money, I think it would be an extra half a million if I could make it in time and I got there it's supposed to be they were I said could you extend the live feed on the satellite they said no we can't it stops at quarter past so I got there at, uh, that's 15 minutes past I got there at 14 minutes past I've seen the film back it's 14 minutes past it's less than a minute to go and um and I thought that was worth something but but can I, I just say when you've done all of these things and a lot of the things that you've done you're very matter of fact about it and the only time I've ever seen you reached the emotional level of, of making you cry was that double marathon where you had that time limit to get to people are watching from the other side of the world on the live feed all of that pressure to do because you tried it before and and had to stop and then start again what happened then that made you oh this is you because i've never seen you cry before i've never seen you you know, you seem to this bit with you that's come out so so often it's even come out in the conversation today is I'm going to straighten my back and I'm going to face the world and I've got the inner strength and I've got I, I've got a carrier. And that was the one moment where I've seen you go, this is now, it's just come out of me. Well, it was, it was, that was 11 hours and five minutes of bloody hell that day. Um, uh, it, it was, you know, temperatures 35 degrees and we had to stop and start as well because uh, just the difficulties of getting that day run. And it looked like it wasn't working. And, um, and they had a huge, about, you know, 10 meter tall, about 30 foot high statue of Nelson Mandela. So that's the thing I ended at. And, you know, having run 25 marathons, and then I, be I ran this 20, and then on the last day it was a double marathon. So I did the 26th marathon and I moved straight into the 27th marathon, just carried on running. 
um, 90 kilometers, about 54 miles, whatever it is, just on and on and on. And then there was a bit, they said, if you run here, you will, there's gangs here, you will get carjacked. It's dangerous. We need police escort. And the police escort hadn't turned up. So I said, what do we do? You know, what do we do? I can't, I've got to get to Pretoria. So I said, okay, let's stop the clock. Let's get in the minibuses, drive me, restart the clock, and I'll run in Pretoria. So we'll just jump over this, this problem. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I was told I was not allowed to run in that, in that area. And so I did that. And, and because we'd lost time, I had to increase the speed. So I'd been running at 7.5 kilometers an hour for 10 hours. And then I went up to 10 kilometers an hour. So I'm going faster for the last hour than I'd done. And it was just murderous. It was really, it just did, I just wanted it over. Just get this fucking thing over. And, and on and on and on. I had to go round and round a park. In the end, we found a park. I'll just do circuits of the park, circuits of the park. And then measured the distance, I said, from the edge of the park to Nelson Mandela statue. And they told me that distance. I, cut, I subtracted that from the distance I had to go. And then when I was at that point, I said, right, now we run the end bit. And we had police cars. We had our friends in the security for our own personal security with unmarked cars stopping traffic. I'm just burning down the center of the road and just on and on. And where's the thing? Where's the park? It's on. It's still going. You know, it's another few kilometers. Can't keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Then we're into the park and it's, this is live. And then they cut to it live. You can see me come on. I've seen the footage on Sport Relief in the UK. You can see me in the distance running onto a park and you've got one camera catching it, going the live feed back to Britain. And then I disappear because I had to go all the way round and get onto some other path and go through a gate. And then they can see me again and then it comes up and it's going to make it. Ah, Jesus. So there was so much trial and tribulation to get to that point. And I'd spent day five in hospital. That's why I was doing a double marathon on the last day. That is, you know, emotional. I am quite an emotional person. But um, I try. I stopped crying when I was a kid because I thought that was better to be completely unemotional and then you can survive boarding school. And then I realized I was dead inside. So I, I ripped that back open myself to have that ability. And sometimes it just gets too much. And um, yeah, it was beautiful, beautiful to get it done. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, listen, Eddie, this has been... A brilliant, uh, brilliant time spent with you. We always ask our, our guests for one word they would gladly never hear again. I've chosen nationalism. I'll tell you why nationalism. People get it confused with patriotism. Patriotism is good. I love my country. You should love your country. That's great. You're a patriot. Excellent. Defend your country against uh, people attacking it. Absolutely. World War II, I would have been there. I would have been fighting. Nationalism is another thing. That's saying my country is better than your country. And if you track, track it back, it's just my dad is bigger than your dad. It's the schoolroom thing writ large. And, you know, America number one, Britain number one, we're better than you. Who are you people? You're not us. We're better. It's a lazy way of making yourself feel good because we're better than you. And no one, no country is better than another country. No country has got the most wisest people, the cleverest people, the best, even the best. You know, like in England, we feel, well, we invented football, so we should have the best football. Well, no, we, we keep not getting winning the World Cup. We've got it once. I and mean, we'd all want to get it again. But... Um, 
I think football could save the world because it's such a leveller. And you say, ah, England, oh, England's not doing it. And France, oh, God, well, they've lost. And Germany, ah, they always, oh, no, they just got really beaten. Oh, we beat them. Oh, and then Brazil, but no, the Germany beat them. And it's such a leveller. And men and women now playing it. And all around the world, even just kids kicking the football in the street. So nationalism, we are better than you. It will not work. We tried it in the 1930s for anyone who wants to be nationalistic. Um, try looking at a documentary. There's a few feature films about World War II. It uh, didn't really work, this nationalism thing. But patriotic, but I do believe at a time of great separation, some people saying, come on, let's pull back, let's isolate, be separate and on our own. I say the rest of us should make even stronger connections from before. I'm already performing in French and German and Spanish. I'm going to add Arabic and Russian onto that. I want to reach out and make connections. And that's what Make Humanity Great Again was. It was a world TV show. Was I doing a world chat show, a world podcast, reaching out around the world, which normally you don't do. But I encourage people, think that way, be ambitious, reach out, make friends around the world. Uh, you can, you can, you know, you can, you can Zoom them, you can uh, FaceTime them, you can this them, Skype them, whatever it is, link up, learn other languages, just get out there because the whole idea of nationalism and separating and going out, it will not work. We will not make it as a human species because we were 20,000 people 200,000 years ago. We're now 7.8 billion and we are all the same. If you cut us, do we not bleed? Shakespeare said that and it's everyone, whatever skin color, the blood is all the same color. We are the same genetics. So get over yourselves on this. Be proud of your country, but reach out to make friends. Can we learn from you? Can you learn from us? And then this way we will make humanity great again. What a lovely message. Fantastic. Eddie, that was wonderful. It's been, as always, a joy to talk to you. And this has been, to have this concentrated period of time to delve into to your mind and to, to share those thoughts with the world, I think is wonderful. And just, just thank you. Not at all. Great to talk to you, Joe, anytime you need, because you know me. I was on uh, this, people don't know this, but I was on, there was a gig that I had agreed to do, and, I'd, and then I'd set, uh, I was also trying to set up a holiday with my father, who was in his late 80s on the Orient Express, and I realized I was going to be on the Orient Express with this once-in-a-lifetime holiday with my dad and this gig that I had to do was very important I couldn't do. And I thought, oh, God, what have I done? And you stood in for me and you saved my life on that. So thank you, because I think even the people that you were doing the gig for, they said, you're not going to be there? Well, we're very pissed off. Oh, John Bishop's going. All right, well, stuff it. <laughs> so it was a beautiful thing. So thank you so much and any time. How joyful was that? Well, there were two things. First thing is that that's the quietest I've ever been, so that's I think that's highest compliment. Uh, definitely, this the stuff about the the physical endeavour. I was just reduced to shaking my head. I kept going over what he was saying, and I've got some conception of what that means. To to, to do <laughs> to do to do thirty odd marathons, and then to on the last day to do two with a comedy in between. A joy, yeah. an honour, uh, yeah. and for everybody who wants to to support Eddie, ability to support his most recent endeavour is still available if you go on to eddieizzard.com. Everyone, thank you for listening to this. Download the other shows, subscribe, do all the things that we ask people to do on this. And it just remains for me to say thanks to our sponsors, Quorn, for facilitating this, and, and to our producer, Simon, who we never mentioned. No. No. Well, for obvious no, well, reasons. we won't bother. <laughs> for obvious reasons. <laughs>
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 65th National Finals of Distinguished Young Women. Every year, one girl from every state leaves her family, her whole life behind, for two weeks and spends each day training, practicing, preparing. Because to win this competition, she needs to wow a panel of judges with her academic record, her athletic ability, her speaking skills, and a show-stopping talent. I met her and I was like, she's gonna win. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. When I sing that song about being a black woman in America, there's gonna be backlash about that. Oh, I'm just so happy, so happy. I don't wanna see them, I don't wanna talk to them. And then we stayed with them for the next year, unpacking just what happened those two weeks in Mobile. I'm Shimoliai, and from Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.